What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Lawyer You Know podcast. I'm your host, Attorney Peter Tragos, and on this podcast, we break down the trials and cases you care most about so that you can understand how the American criminal and civil justice system works. We try to make sure you understand your rights by answering your questions as, well, a lawyer that you know. So we want to walk you through this process and we can do it together. Make sure you get in the comments or in the chats to ask the questions that have been burning in your minds. And while this is not legal advice, it's always exciting. So buckle up for another episode of The Lawyer You Know. What's up, everybody? Sorry, I'm late. Group at our house tonight for our church. So ran a little bit later than expected, but we're only a couple minutes late. And we're going to dive into this today. I've got a bunch of little clips to show of the very first cross-examination that I want to get to with you guys to think to talk about what you thought about the cross-examination. A lot of it we talked about and we guessed was going to come across, and he asked a lot of the questions that we expected him to ask about the guns, about the confession. He slowed it down just like we did together last night. A lot of you were messaging me on Instagram and Twitter that you heard it different when the defense did it. Did they doctor it or was it just that they slowed it down? Some of you heard it exactly the same, no matter how slow they played it. And you can get at me on Instagram and Twitter here at Tragos Law if you want to and talk to me on there. But we're going to dive into all that. We're going to talk about the cell phone forensics, computer forensic experts, the chain of custody. We'll talk about the argument they had there, why it's important. And then, of course... I'll answer your questions at the end as we always do. So hit that like button if you haven't already. Subscribe to our YouTube page if you're interested in this Murdoch trial. We are not live streaming it day by day. I'm working during the day, handling real cases. Yes, I know you may not expect it, but I am a real lawyer. And at night, I'm giving these recaps, I'm giving these breakdowns. So if you don't have all day to watch it, you can get it in about an hour. Some of them have been running a little over an hour of what happened that day and some highlights, a few highlights specifically focused on the lawyering and the arguments made to the jury um, because that's what we like to talk about on this channel. So to start out the day, we got right into cross-examination of, I think Croft was his name. I'm getting all the special agents' um, names confused. And uh, before the day even started, Harpulian stands up in a G move of all G moves and says, your honor, I just want to thank the court reporter, the court staff, the security, the bailiffs, the AG's office. I've tried a lot of cases in a lot of jurisdictions and nobody has ever given us this level of respect and made us feel comfortable. And I just want to say thank you. And everybody was appreciative of that. And it was very nice, but don't think there is not a method to his madness. Everything is calculated and he's doing everything for a reason, in my opinion. Okay. I've watched a lot of trials. I've been in a lot of trials. I've met a lot of trial lawyers. I've been in a lot of conferences where they talk about trial strategy and what you can do and how you can, you're always on. There are certain lawyers that like to talk to every single person in the courtroom, right? It just makes things, it, it creates a certain vibe. And I think he's done that in this trial. Some of you hate it. Some of you like it. Um, all right. So some of you are saying barf. I get it. I get it. Um, all right. So in the cross-examination, this uh, special agent Croft, who talked a lot about the guns, all the guns were entered into evidence during his direct examination. We saw the body cam footage where all the guns were there. 
he's Mr. Gun Guy, and he was brought into this case, which he even said right in the beginning, I was brought in on this case because of my familiarity with firearms. It's not the only reason, but that is why I was brought in on this case. I was assisting the, the main investigator on it, but that's why I was brought into this case. Then just a few minutes later, as the defense attorneys were getting into where a shell would have flown, where somebody was standing based on the positioning of the gun, the state, it was a little cringy for me, stood up and objected that this witness was not qualified to answer this question because he is not an expert. Pretty simple questions about where a projectile could fly. And he ended up answering it later saying, I don't know where it landed because it could have ricocheted off something. It could have hit the person's shoulder. It could have gone straight to the floor. It goes straight in the air. They don't always fly the same amount. There's variables. He could have answered like that because he did later. But instead, the state had to object that their own witness that they just had show and explain multiple guns that were not the murder weapon to this jury. Now they're telling the jury he's not an expert. And I wouldn't be surprised. It's it's improper. You're not supposed to bring up objections in closing argument, but I would be surprised if Harpoolian didn't say, listen, the gun guy that was brought in on the case for the gun expertise, the state didn't want him to answer some of our questions. They objected that he wasn't a, an expert. Not supposed to do that, but he's done a few other things that are towing up to that line. I was surprised. I didn't like it. And the judge overruled it very quickly and allowed him to continue answering these questions because this judge knows, this judge is awesome, by the way. This judge knows that, uh, hold on a second here. I just lost the connection. This judge knows that the state would absolutely ask very similar questions um, to this expert slash officer on very similar topics, and that's why they brought him on. So I thought that was a rough start for the state. Uh, were you aware of the search warrant? No limitations. We talked a lot about that. We heard a lot about that. Um, and he said, yes, that he was aware of it. No limitations. He wasn't sure if he had it. Um, but they basically could search everything from the jump with no issues like that. And, um, yet they still didn't search certain things. I think I have some help on here tonight, but I'm not seeing stuff get starred. So I'm going to try to follow the comments here. All right. Um, okay. Then they finally start getting into the guns. They start to get in the guns. And I thought this went really well for the defense, pretty much like we expected it to happen. Let's listen in and see how the defense attorney cross examines the fact that all of these guns that they had you bring here are not in fact the murder weapon in this case. Now, and we're going to get to some of these shotguns here in a minute, but that um, the, um, the the Browning light doesn't even shoot a three-inch shell, does it? It does not. Two and three-quarters what it shoots. Right. And yet you seized it? I secured it, yes, sir. And you brought it here in the courtroom and um, introduced it in, in this case? I, I did, sir. Yes. Yeah. 
it can't even shoot the ammunition that killed Paul or Maggie. This gun is not capable of committing this crime, yet you brought it here and introduced it to this jury. A gun that couldn't even fire the bullet that killed Paul, right? It did not fire the rounds that was located at the scene. Right. In fact, none of the shotguns that you brought yesterday, according to the ballistic report, your lab analysis, fired the shots that killed Paul. Correct? I do not have the lab report in front of me. Well, you certainly know that after June 8th, Sled was diving in ponds and waterways looking for the murder weapons. Isn't that correct? We were diving looking for potential evidence from the scene. Have you ever found the murder weapons? Your knowledge? <laughs> Objection, Your Honor. That's outside the scope of his knowledge. Once again, objection. It's outside the scope of his knowledge. He brought all these weapons here, but he doesn't know if they ever found the murder weapon. Now, he said multiple times, I wasn't there for the testing. I don't know what the tests showed. It's like, dude, you brought all these uh, weapons. You explained all of them. What kind of, well, you know, these weren't the murder weapons since, in fact, they can't shoot the ammo that killed the victims in the case. Not a good look. Objections overruled. And the judge did the right thing. Overruled. Not that I'm aware of, sir. And are, are you familiar with what ballistics tests were done on Buster's 300 blackout and whether that was excluded as a weapon used to kill his mother? Again, I am not, I don't have the report in front of me and I'm not able to testify to that, sir. <clears throat> and you, you brought these empty turkey load uh, I don't know if I left in the turkey stuff, but it was hilarious when he was asking him all those questions. He's like, there's a turkey right there on the box, right? Because sometimes witnesses are so apprehensive to say yes to a defense attorney's question. Uh, but I thought that was interesting. Also, no closed caption available on this video. I have no idea why, but I would click it if I could, but I can't. 14, I believe, brought these into evidence, the box of turkey shells. That is the boxes I collected, yes, sir. And they, these were empty? Yes, sir, they were. And these were um, found in the trash can? Yes, sir. They were found in a trash bag. Yes, sir. Okay. And and you, um, let's see. Exhibit, the other end has exhibit number. Exhibit 90 is the, the Browning Auto 5 Light 12 gauge, which we already talked about wouldn't even hold a three inch shell, but there were no shells, no ammo in, in the, the Browning weapon, which is Exhibit 90 you brought to court, right? There was no rounds in that weapon. When you seized it on the 8th, no rounds in it, right? That is correct. Yes. All right. The, um, the Mossberg model Ulta Mag, which is Exhibit 89, you have a 12-gauge shot shell written on the outside. So there was one um, shot shell in this, loaded in this gun, correct? That is correct, yes, sir. And do you remember if it was buckshot or birdshot? It was black. I don't remember what it was. Will you be able to look at it and tell us? Uh, yes, sir. All right. I'm going to hand you the shot first. 
there's a lot of this, right? And we don't need to we don't need to watch all of it, but there's a lot of what kind of ammo is it? This is not the kind of ammo that can get this done, right? And he goes through it. And that's why I thought it was a big, big mistake for the prosecution to bring in all of those guns that were not the murder weapon. It just shows how much evidence does not, in fact, point to Alec Murdoch, regardless of what you think. And again, I actually think it got a little better for the prosecution today as we go on, so stick with me here. And I saw uh, Rob's comment. Stick with me. I'm, I, I have... I'm starting to see some potential areas of light at the end of the tunnel for the prosecution because up until today, I pretty much saw nothing and they were going nowhere. So I felt like uh, there were some breakthroughs potentially today. Um, yeah, okay, he kind of stumps him on the turkey box, whether it was a land bird versus waterfowl, which I thought was really important, and how potentially the murder ammo was for waterfowl birds and they found none of that on the, the scene which I thought was really interesting. And I think that we're talking about the, the weapon that killed Paul. So again, no unfired waterfowl shotgun shells at Moselle as part of this investigation anywhere, anywhere. I do have a clip here. Let's see if it's that. I don't even remember if it's that, but let, let's watch this clip because I think it's more about this ammo. I thought this was a great part of the cross-examination. There are parts I didn't think were as great, but this I thought was a great part of the cross-examination. And the other box is the same old federal. It's got a turkey on the front. All right. So those three boxes look like they're turkey loads, right? That's yeah. what it appears. This is it. Did you find any waterfowl <clears throat> shell boxes at Moselle on June 8th? I did not collect any waterfowl shell boxes from Moselle. Did you there. collect any waterfowl? Unfired shotgun, 12-gauge shotgun shells at Moselle on June the 8th. Not that I'm aware of, sir. Have you ever collected unfired shotgun shells from waterfowl at Moselle in part of this investigation? I do not recall collecting any waterfowl shot. Are you aware, sir, that the shot that blew Paul Murdoch's head off was Winchester dry lock, steel, waterfowl, 12 gauge ammunition. I was aware that we were, that the uh, pellets were steel. Well, you can look at the outside of the, of the spent shell casing and see that it's Winchester dry lock, correct? If I had the shell casing, yes, sir, I could okay. see it. And you know that to be a waterfowl duck load, correct? I know that it's primarily used for duck load, yes. That's a pretty big moment for the defense. I think that's a pretty aha moment that all this ammo we're seeing, all these spent shells, and none of them match what they believe to, as he said, I won't go as graphic as he had, but did the damage to Paul. I mean, that's, that's pretty damning. What do you guys think? I, I love hearing what you guys think when you hear stuff like this. I mean, we saw all these guns. None of them are the murder weapon. We saw all this ammo. None of them match what killed Paul. Does that not at least bring some doubt into your head that this was one shooter? This was Alec Murdoch that did both of these things? Why would he clean up 
and get rid of the ammo that killed Paul, but not what killed Maggie? Why would he clean up certain things, but not any of the other casings around Maggie or casings around the property? <coughs> Very strange. And we're going to hear more of a lack of investigation later that just blew my mind. The things that law enforcement did not do in this case that they could have done. So many times they're like, oh, they lawyered up. You know, they were not cooperating. We couldn't do this or we couldn't do that. In this case, with arms wide open, Murdoch said, beat me up, Scotty. Search anywhere you want. See what you can find. And maybe he's a mastermind. I think he's pretty conniving. Uh, but, I mean, the fact that they couldn't find more with how wide open it was, even in two hours or whatever people think that he had time to clean this up, to me is is tough to swallow if I'm trying to convict on this case as a juror. Um, he also asked him right after this, which I think was also very important. And I asked a lot of you and guess what? As usual, as usual, you all said this first, especially those of you from South Carolina in the chat, whenever we have people that come in from the location, the case is going on, they always provide great context. And you all said, that's not abnormal at all to have 25 guns. He's probably got more. I've got more. I don't. But a lot of you said that. And guess what? This very nice goosey, as he said, instead of Gucci, kind of ho-hum law enforcement officer that seems like a really nice guy, said it is absolutely not unusual at all to have this amount of guns in this house, in a hunting house, in the low country in South Carolina. You also, in the chat, astutely pointed out the problem with hogs which we'll get to later, but you all know this and don't think this is why this is so fun to do, right? It's so fun to discuss this stuff because a lot of people don't give themselves enough credit. Some people give themselves too much credit, but when you're a juror in a case and you sit back there and one juror is like, maybe me, maybe I would sit back there and be like, why do they need such serious guns to kill hogs? Just to do this like fun hunting. They're using these dangerous guns. Shouldn't they know better? And you would be able to correct me. be like, no, hogs are a real problem for landowners here. So while it may be enjoyable, maybe some father and son does together, it's a real problem and they're solving a problem by buying these kinds of guns and shooting these hogs. You all also said that in the chat. And I think that type of stuff is really, really important to bring us context to this case. Griffin says that he himself is a city boy. He said that multiple times and it's it's not abnormal for lawyers to try to take on either the personality or the political views or certain ideologies that are in opposition with their client. So that, so that if people on the jury hate their client for, you know, owning all these guns, they're like, well, his lawyer seems like a good guy. He's a city boy. He doesn't have the guns. You know, he's not a gun guy or whatever it may be. Sometimes lawyers do that and they play it up. Sometimes it is true, but sometimes they play it up just to make sure the jury knows, listen, we don't agree with him either politically or ideologically, or we don't have guns. He has guns, whatever it may be. So that happens a lot. Um, and he did it in this case multiple times. And where he told him to aim the gun, the officer's like, how about I aim it up here? He goes, see, I'm a city boy. That's why I rely on you. And then the jury laughed. There were a couple times today where the defense lawyers made kind of jokes or certain comments where the everybody in the gallery and the jury was laughing. Um, again, they talked about where the shells went. That was where the objection came. They talk about the Faraday bag and what's the point of it. I think there's a witness more qualified to testify about this later. And I actually think he did a good job. So we're going to save that. Um, then really interesting stuff here. They start to talk about how Alec Murdoch was the 
only suspect or only person in the circle. And he built up to some really important points that were made later about if this was the only suspect, why didn't you do things differently? Why was this such a bad investigation if he was in fact the only suspect? But let's talk, let's listen to them talk a little bit about that, uh, about him being the only suspect and what that meant and how they were looking at him. He's going to be looked at. Is that fair? That would be a fair statement, sir. And y'all were looking at Alex on the eighth. Sled was, right? We, yes, sir. And would you have a label? Was he person of interest or suspect on the eighth? We were looking at Alec being the one that found the the uh, deceased, uh, being the husband, the father, uh, in an attempt to get Mr. Alec out of that uh, immediate circle. Yeah, they, they were only investigating him to get him out of that immediate circle. That's the only reason they were investigating him. They were definitely not trying to convict him. And you've, you've described this investigative circle. So you draw a circle around potential uh, persons of interest. And Alex was in that circle. We don't draw a circle around any individual person. Uh, we work with the crime scene, which, which, which is what we consider the circle. Uh, and we work from our way inside out uh, in order to uh, find any potential suspects, identify suspects, clear individuals. Uh, so we, we start with the, the small circle. So when you started with the small circle, although you don't draw it, I mean, it's a sort of an investigative mental tool. Who was the person in the small circle? We had Miss Maggie was in the crime scene. Paul was in the crime scene and Alec was in the crime scene. So those were the suspects. Paul and Maggie who were deceased and Alec. Now it could have been. Paul, could have been Maggie, murder-suicide, it's happened, but those were the three. So when they're doing all these interviews and stuff, Alec is the person of interest. And you remember that... Tori, I agree with you. I agree with you. And Rob, they introduced weapons, ammo that couldn't have been the murder weapons, his shirt and, and shorts that had no blood on them to prove this point that like he is a mastermind and cleaned all this up and that's why there's no evidence. So he's a mastermind and that's why there's reasonable doubt that that's kind of how I feel about some of the arguments that they're making. And I agree. Some of this stuff is wild high school. We're going to get to some of those theories a little bit later on that. I think they're starting to uh, flesh out here a little bit. On the morning of the eighth, there are media reports that Alec was a person of interest in the murder of his wife and son. Do you remember that being public knowledge? I try to avoid the media in any investigation. Smart. Cause I don't want to be influenced by anything that's said. And the, um, what do you recall, SLED putting out a press release on the morning of the 8th? The public need not be alarmed. I do not recall any press release. Uh, That's why you build, right? You build as the case goes on. It seems long. It seems laborious. Sometimes I think people forget and juries forget, which is difficult for lawyers because we never want that. But we talked about that press release already. And other people were like, no, it wasn't just Alec Murdoch. He's saying basically Alec Murdoch was the only person in the suspect in the circle that we were considering. And then they said the public was safe, but Alec Murdoch was still in the public. So what's going on? Is it him or is it not? They're building on this argument. Being played, put out by sled. Never. <clears throat> well, the point being on the eighth, there was a circle and it was only around Alec. He was the only living and breathing person in the circle. Is that correct? 
That is the only person that we could place in the circle at that time. And on the eighth, Sled knew that from what interviews with Alec, that he said he left Moselle at shortly after 9 p.m., went to visit his mother in Almeida, stayed for a while, and came back. Sled, and you were aware of that fact. I am. Okay, so remember when I mentioned that something blew my mind that they screwed up or didn't do in this investigation. We're getting there right now, and some of you may know what it is already, and we've already kind of mentioned it on some other uh, videos, but we get it confirmed right here, I believe. I'm aware of that, yes, sir. Did anybody at SLED ever, on the morning of the 8th, hightail it over to Almeida and search the house for any evidence whatsoever? I did not go to Almeida and search the house on the 8th. Are you aware of anyone ever going to Almeida to search the house until sometime in September of 2021? There was a number of agents out working. I'm not sure what the other agents did. Okay. That's the mind blowing part. So in case you didn't catch it, we'll repeat it here. This happened June 7th. And on June 7th or early morning in the 8th, when a lot of this was happening, Murdoch gave consent to search everything. They got a warrant very quickly to search everywhere on the Moselle property. He told them from the jump that he was at his mother's house nothing was stopping them from going and searching the mother's house in Alameda and none of them went. Now he says he didn't go. He's not aware if anybody went. So somebody could have gone. And I really hope the prosecution brings somebody that went over there and searched the pipes and the clothes and the washing machine. And is there blood anywhere? Are there weapons there stashed somewhere buried in the backyard? Because if they didn't even go search that Alameda house, I think they have totally lost the argument that Alec Murdoch went and cleaned up or tried to create an alibi or stashed the weapons or hid the weapons or whatever. Maybe I think they have lost that. If I'm a juror, I'm going to say, I'm sorry. This is really sad, but law enforcement blew this. He told you he went there. We know you found no trace of him cleaning up inside his house in Moselle, or you didn't check the pipes and things like that. Somebody mentioned it was freshly washed clothes. That's not going to be enough to get it done for me because he was sweating and the clothes were dry. You had the opportunity to go search where he said he was literally when the crimes occurred and you didn't bother to do it. A lot of my closing argument would be focused on this if I was the defense attorney. Um, Somebody asked a question about closing arguments here. Stephanie, when you're in trial, are you crafting and changing your closing argument based on what happens as it goes? Or do you decide it beforehand? Uh, like your style. So if it's a, like when I was a prosecutor and I would do a one day short trial, a couple witnesses, I would have most of it crafted before. And I would add in a few things here or there. And these types of trials, now that my trials are longer and a lot more happens, sometimes I'll have a shell, how I want to describe damages in a civil case, how I want to describe how the injury occurred. But a lot of the middle portion is wide open for me to get quotes like this and pieces like this that come out of the trial that I hammer home. I would put every one of those guns up on the table, every single one of them. Look at all these guns, members of the jury. Look at all of them. All of these guns belong to Alec Murdoch, every single one of them. But you know what's not there? The murder weapon, because it did not belong to Alec Murdoch. 
And guess what? We found some of these 300 blackout shell casings somewhere. You know what we didn't find? Is any of the bird shot or whatever that, that killed Paul. I would learn a lot more about ammo if I had this case. I would put all the ammo up there. Look at all this ammo. Look at all these casings. They searched everywhere. None of it was what killed Paul. Alec was the only suspect. He told them where he was. They didn't bother to go over there. He cooperated, gave him everything. So absolutely, Stephanie, a lot of my closing would come from what actually happens in the trial. I take notes for every witnesses, highlights, circle certain things, and I'll pull that. It's kind of like this, right? Kind of like what I do every day here, right? Hit the highlights, play some stuff for the jury, change it up, try to answer some of the questions I think they have. That's a lot of what the closing argument is. All right, let's continue listening. Wouldn't it have been a good idea to go to Alameda on the morning of the 8th? Where the guy in the circle <clears throat> says he was, right? I did not go, and I can't testify to what other agents did. Well, you've been working this investigation. Um, are you the lead case agent? No, sir, I'm not. Who's the lead case agent? David Owen. <clears throat> now, every interview that Alec Murdoch gave, you participated in, right? I did, sir. So were you working... <clears throat> You know, sort of Agent Owen's right-hand man in this investigation? I was assigned by the captain to assist at, uh, Agent Owens. So it's fair that you knew daily developments as the investigation progressed, right? We had briefings uh, with each other on the case. Yes, sir. And you knew that at no point in time, June, July, August, anyone went over to Almeida, searched the house, searched the property for any dirty clothes or any murder weapon. I know that I did not go, and I'm not sure what the other agents uh, in the investigative circle had done. Well, if you went over there, if you had gone over there on the morning of the 8th, scoured the place and not find anything, that would sort of help nudge Alec outside this investigative circle, would it not? Since that's what you were trying to do, right? Nudge him out of the circle. I can't testify to what is, sir. I, I, I did not go. It's not great. And it looked like his eyes went over to the prosecutor's table. Yeah, it's really not great. It's really not great. I'm going to answer some questions here before we uh, move on. Nancy P. Sorry, off topic. Love the chairs behind you. Can you name the store? I have no idea. I'll have to ask my wife and then I will let you know. But thank you for the compliment. They are new. I know that. New stuff just shows up here. John O'Rourke. Prosecution presentation today made it extremely hard for anyone to follow. Tons of numbers, software, and decoding info, which only experts would truly understand. I feel it would have been hard for a regular jurors to follow. I'm going to save this comment, uh, John, and talk about it again later because I have some points I want to make on this. A couple other people have said uh, similar things. Terry. What happens if he's found not guilty? Does the investigation get reopened? Thanks for the recaps, Peter. No. Double jeopardy, not guilty is not guilty in criminal cases. Gabrielle Heisel, the officer that was crossed today seemed to be forgetful and dodging questions asked by the defense, unlike being sharp as he was for the prosecution. Couldn't the defense attorney call him out on that in front of the jury? Yes. A lot of times they'll say he answered all their questions but didn't know the answer to any of my questions. So good pickup. That's a very common strategy actually for defense attorneys. Golden Girl, not sure if you're familiar with James from court. He's in South Carolina going to trial each day. He says none of the jurors are taking notes. Thoughts, interesting. Um, 
I don't think that's a good sign for the prosecution, especially based on John's comment and a lot and Rob's comment and a lot of other people's comments. Uh, I don't think that's a good sign for the state because this stuff can get complicated. Ashley King, what happens if a juror feels like they made the wrong decision after a conviction due to the subconscious bias, not liking the attorneys, et cetera? It's not really much they can do. Not really much they can do. Now, if there was some kind of fraud or wrongdoing or something like that, maybe, but not just like, ah, I think I may have made the wrong decision. EJ, if he gets acquitted, can the state's loss negatively affect convicting him for all the financial crimes he's facing? Love your recaps. Thank you. Thank you, EJ. Hope you're doing well. Um, I don't think so. I really don't think they, I think they could lose here and still be very successful in the financial crimes. Everything I've looked into there, the evidence seems very strong against him in those cases. So I think it's going to be a very different kind of case. Tory file. This is the first trial we've covered that I'm scared that he might get convicted because he isn't liked and not on the evidence. I don't think the prosecution has met the burden. I don't think they can. They have nowhere near met the burden yet, but they might be on their way to doing it. We'll see. And it's possible they just don't like him because they know about all the other crap going on with him. We'll see. Giggle. Because they didn't think he was a suspect. They did. They did think he was a suspect. They said he was the only suspect at that time when they were doing these interviews. He even says it again later. When we were interviewing him, yes, he was a suspect. Peter, he isn't immediately treated the way you think because of his last name. I live here and the good old boys club is strong. Ashley, that's what I've heard a lot in this case. Sarah Bellum, not to be conspiratorial, but it seems the prosecution bungled this on purpose. That's an interesting thought. Ah, Jilly Bear said, Emily said today the jury's not allowed to take notes. Man, that's tough. It's tough in a case like this. Uh, Sad Tiger, did Paul have enemies? Was mom killed by accident? That's what Alec Murdoch thinks. So Sad Tiger, it sounds like if you were on the jury and Alex's team is making these arguments that you might, you might buy it. Okay. Thank you, Tracy. So a lot of people tell me Chanley Painter saying they're not allowed notebooks. Okay. All right. So let's continue in kind of our recap here. Um, they talked about the cavalry coming in and how they put Murdaugh and his family and friends in separate cars and questioned them at the same time. Nobody knew that they were going to test the phone ahead of time. Nobody told him not to delete anything or to preserve it or anything like that. Alec Murdoch was the one that actually called for some of these meetings because he wanted updates and they were using it as an opportunity to do another interview with a potential criminal defendant. Um, none of that was that big of a deal to me, but, but we are going to get to one of the most important parts and that is how the defense dealt with the supposed confession. I did him so bad. They did him so bad. Let's listen to it together. And I want you to, I want you to let me know in the comments, did your opinion change about what you thought he said when the defense did their cross-examination or slowed this down? Let me know in the comments. Tell the jury if you ask Alec Murdoch on August 11th, 2021, what did you mean back on June 10th when you said I did him so bad? We didn't make it to that point, sir. I think I may have missed some of it. The third interview. Could I mean, if the guy in the middle of the circle, the only one in the circle, I did him. I was a little too early stages of investigation. It was more of an information gathering from Mr. Alec. Uh, and we did not have information at that point, to my opinion, to challenge Mr. Alec on any of his statements. Your Honor, let me. Was the one and only in this circle on June the 10th, 
you're in the car with him. And according to your testimony, he says, I did him so bad. I think I may have missed it. That is what again. I understood. Sorry, him say. let yes. me back it up a little bit more. For his phone so that it could be extracted. Not an agent with something. That would be investigator. Hi. Buckle swab from. Buckle from. Alec. With Alec. And it ran for almost an hour. Could be longer. You sat on the stand uh, and, and heard that, right? Here yes, we go. I did. And at various points in time, you were asked, what did he just tell you? Did he just tell you this? Do you remember that? I do, sir. And then you get to one point in the interview where you're asked, um, what did he just say after you said it must be tormenting? And you testified that Alex said on the video captured by audio that it was so bad, I did him so bad. That's what you testified to yesterday. Yes, sir. That is what I testified to. Now, are you 100% confident that Alex said, I did him so bad? Bad question, in my opinion. And I'm going to be a little critical here, maybe nitpicky. You guys can feel free to disagree with me as always. I do not think this went as well as I expected it to go based on the quality of these defense attorneys throughout a lot of other cross-examinations. This is kind of the start. I think that's a bad question. Do you know with 100% certainty? Rather than they did him so bad? I'm 100% confident in what I heard and I interpreted him as saying. But you would agree that this jury can hear the same thing you heard on June the 10th by by playing what was captured on the body cam or the recording equipment in Agent Owen's car, right? Yes, sir. Now, when you heard what you said, you're confident what you heard, that he said, mm -hmm. I did him so bad, um, what did you do in response to that? I made a mental note of, on it, uh, of it. Again, we were still in the early stages of investigation it was more of an information gathering from mr alec uh, and we did not have information at that point to my opinion challenge mr alec on any of his statements that's baloney that's baloney i didn't really notice he said it at the time but when i heard it back i saw that he said it or i heard that he said it and it was i think it was a freudian slip that's a better answer because if somebody confesses to you that is the only suspect in the case, you're probably going to move on it, which we already talked about this last night. And it's funny, it's playing out kind of exactly as we expected it to. So Alec Murdoch was the one and only in this circle on June the 10th. You're in the car with him, and according to your testimony, he says, I did him so bad. That is what I understood him to say, yes, sir. And yet, you just said you took a mental note of it. Yes, sir, I did. I mean, if the guy in the middle of the circle, the only one in the circle, says, I did him so bad, isn't that a significant statement if he actually said that? It's definitely something we would follow up with. You never followed up with it, did you? There was a third interview conducted with Mr. Alex. There was a third interview. There was a third interview conducted on August the 11th, 2021, right? 
you really think that's a follow up on that? Like you think he made it? A lot of you are disagreeing with me in the chat. I see, which is totally cool. And uh, Giggle even said, I love that we can agree to disagree. I'm not seeing the same. I feel like the way we're giving him a break and lots of leeway because of who he is. I feel like I have the other feeling about him. I am coming into this, looking at this more negatively of Alec Murdoch, probably than I have of any criminal defendant that we have started a case with because of what I feel like I knew about him walking into it. If I'm being honest, I do not believe that any of this, I think the prosecution and law enforcement felt like they were given a golden egg when they listened back to this. They said, I think it sounds enough like I did him. So I'm just telling you my opinion, right? And you can disagree with me, but I think they feel like, oh, wow, did he just say that? Okay, that's a confession. We can work with that. I don't think anybody thought that was an actual confession. I don't think that played into at all. Uh, I would almost guarantee, I don't know what happened when they got the no bond or got him put in jail. I can almost guarantee they didn't say, and he confessed as part of it, which when you do have that, and you're building up the evidence of guilt is great to hold somebody with no bond and they confess a confession is a very big piece of that. I can almost guarantee they didn't have this in there. I don't recall the exact date. We hear about it, but you were there, right? <laughs> yes, sir. I was. And tell the jury, if you ask Alec Murdoch on August 11th, 2021, what did you mean back on June 10th when you said, I did him so bad? We didn't make it to that point, sir. In fact, back on June 10th, after you had this, uh, what, what you heard him say, I did him so bad, you went on to talk about Funeral arrangements, whether they're going to be public or private. Isn't that right? There was questions concerning funeral arrangements, yes, sir. And Agent Owen says, so Beth here. Um, okay, so he's going to get to slowing it down, so we'll, we'll keep listening here. But Beth makes a good point. The question was, you saw a horrific scene, Alex Murdoch, sobbing replied it's so bad i did it or i did meaning i saw a horrific scene it's so bad another very plausible explanation very plausible explanation which to me again is probably how this officer took it during the investigation because he continued on talking about the funeral and whether or not it should be public and stuff like that that is not how you would respond if somebody just confessed to killing their wife and son well it said he's trying to make arrangements so I do recall Agent Owen saying something about the media not being there. Yes. I'm talking about the funeral oh, here. June the 10th. Again, I, it was something that we were definitely going to follow up on. Yes, sir. Getting ready for your testimony yesterday. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Did you review a transcript that was prepared by SLED of that interview of June 10th with Alec? No, sir. I've never seen a transcript. Ever. I am so interested in what that transcript says. It's, it's prepared by SLED, the law enforcement department for South Carolina. And it's a transcript. And he's asking him about that transcript. That makes me think the transcript says they. Now, we don't get to hear what it says. Maybe we will later. 
But the fact that sled, and maybe in the defense's case in chief, you call that officer just to say, or whoever made the transcript and say, you wrote down that it says they did him so bad, didn't you? Because that would be really interesting what the sled transcript says. That was prepared for that. Are you aware the transcript was prepared at sled? No, sir, I'm not. Are you hearing that the first time? Yes, sir, I am. Really interesting, and I'm interested in that. Well, let me ask you back on June 10th. Why, why didn't you ask him right then and there when he said, I did him so bad? Why didn't you ask him? What, what do you mean by that, Ellen? Again, it was early in the investigation. Uh, it was more of an inform, information gathering uh, interview, if you would call it an interview, with Mr. Alec. Uh, and we did not, at that particular time in the investigation, we did not have evidence to challenge anything that Mr. Alec would have told us. It was decided that we would not uh, cross that at that time. I mean, I'm not. My question wasn't why didn't you challenge him. My question is why didn't you ask for clarification? Like, what are you talking about? You did him so bad. Asking for clarification of I did him so bad uh, would ultimately be a challenge of what he said. So, what are the what were the things going through your mind when you? heard or misheard i did him so bad he's like i wasn't a good dad i i spoiled him or i killed him different what explanations your mental note there was a mental note that it was definitely something that we needed to follow up on so and- even he did not think it was a confession that's what the defense got now i don't think this was hard-hitting i don't think this was as impactful as it could have been but i definitely think they got enough information to argue later at closing that even this officer did not take it as a confession because when he presents him with these alternative theories of what he could have meant by i did him so bad he doesn't disagree and, and ask at a later time speeding it up a little bit now from the video it appears you're back there taking some notes yes did you take notes i, I was writing Specific stuff. You now. mentioned you made a mental note. <clears throat> this is what you heard or misheard. I didn't so bad. But did you make a written note of him saying that? I don't recall if I wrote it or not, sir. So it's possible that you're sitting there with a guy who's now been charged with murder on June 10th in the interview. The father, the only one in the circle, and he says I did him so bad, and you can't tell the jury you even wrote it down on a piece of paper. I don't recall if I actually made a physical note of it or not, sir. I'm going to play the clip from State's Exhibit 243, which is in evidence. Would you listen again with the jury? Hang, hang on, Johnny. All right, slow it back down for the clip. Exhibit. Uh, <laughs> it was just so bad. It was so bad. The more I think about it, the more I think it's inaudible. That I, I can't decide if it's they or I. I lean towards they, honestly. I lead towards they. But I, I'm not confident. I definitely would not hinge my vote as a juror on this. All right. Back it would up. you? Play That's a good question. Real. Would you make your decision as a juror based on this confession? That's something I want to know. Let me know. Yes or no in the chat. Time again, Doug. Real time. <laughs> or not, not easy. I know it's hard. Um, <laughs> and sitting here talking today is, is tough. <laughs> it's just so bad. It so bad. <laughs> it almost sounded like EY. A did him so bad. Did you hear now? They or I? I will still testify that my hearing, I hear I. 
And he's not going to change that regardless, but, but he wants to keep drilling into the jury's head that it's probably something else or could be something else. Mia, this is absolutely an, uh, an explanation that's potentially exactly what they were thinking as the investigators. Your Honor, we'd like to play it again at one-third speed to slow it down. It's just the same. Thank you. One-third speed. Foundation leg for who's manipulating it, how it's being manipulated. Uh, Oof, another bad objection by the prosecutor. Looks like you're hiding something. It looks like you don't want, all they're doing is slowing it down to one-third speed, and whoever's in the courtroom is the one doing it. To me, that's not a good look for the prosecutor. If the jury's paying attention to objections. I think, uh, obviously, we have it in real time, but there would have to be some additional foundation. Judge overrules it. One third speed. think I heard they when they slowed it down. You would agree the jury gets to decide what he what he said on that tape. That's the best evidence. Of course. I agree. Of course he agrees with that. Everybody agrees with that. Um, All right. Uh, Redirect. Again, he leads a bunch. Just lawyer speak. He leads a bunch. They object. He fixes it. He loves to lead when he comes out on redirect. I think that might be all the video we're playing tonight. I'll pull it off for now. We might, I'll leave it up. I don't know if we're going to come back to it. Um, so yeah, he loves to lead on redirect. They object a little bit. Everything is fine. He ends up getting it together. Uh, and he said, you were focused on the weapons, right? Yeah. I was focused on the weapons and not a ton of recross. Then we start to get into the phone evidence here. This was pretty boring at times. We did learn a few things, but it was very confusing and they made a lot of excuses as to why the evidence presented the way that it did. Um, first, the Verizon guys like, hey, here's how we get the data. Here's the data we get. Here's what it means. Um, Harpoolian, again, makes a joke about how his wife calls him being impatient when he hangs up before the phone picks up. And he says, oh, that's because it's searching for the tower, right? So I can tell my wife now it's searching for the tower and I'm not just hanging up and being impatient. And he says you know, basically, yes. But I think um, that that was endearing for the jury. And they like to hear Harpoolian make those jokes and personalize himself. I might object to that. Now, I could look like a jerk objecting to Harpoolian so much, but you're not allowed to do that for a reason. You're not allowed to try to make the jury like you personally with, you know, with your testimony about what's happening in your life. All right, then we have a U.S. Secret Service cyber fraud guy digital forensic examiner. He found the stuff that was either not relevant or privileged and somebody else took it out. He tried to unlock Paul's cell phone and he couldn't. Then another secret service guy came in. You can do 146 attempts a day. He ends up unlocking Paul's cell phone after trying a bunch of different, um, combinations. And, you know, that was basically the gist of his testimony. Uh, then we go to lunch And 
here's where I'm going to get to John's question and a couple other people's questions, because after lunch, the defense objects to a witness that's coming in the future to people are saying you missed the steps. Didn't miss the steps. We haven't gotten to that guy yet. Um, so let me see. I think I can pull this off now. Um, so after the guy talked about, yeah, 146 attempts all day, he figured it out. Then after lunch, the defense objected to a witness the prosecution was going to call in the future because they said they have not completed the chain of custody. The prosecution responds with, we called this person and that person and this person, and that person. We've laid the chain enough. We argued about whether it was fungible or non-fungible. Uh, they both said, judge, clearly it's fungible. Clearly it's non-fungible. The judge is like, Obviously, it's not clear, or you guys wouldn't be arguing. That was funny. Everybody laughed at that, and the judge made a good joke there. The judge ended up saying they did um, lay the foundation and show the chain of custody enough for the witness to be able to testify to the text messages, the phone calls, the steps, the stuff we heard later. It was that witness that they were objecting to, and the fact that the defense objected to that and wanted to make them continue trotting out person after person that just basically looked at this cell phone, grabbed it, handed it to somebody else, didn't do anything else with it, didn't do any testing, didn't find it, didn't secure it, didn't package it. That tells you what the defense is trying to do. And that's where we get back to John's question. The presentation was hard for people to follow. Tons of numbers and software and decoding and info only experts would truly understand. I feel it would have been hard for a regular juror to follow. The defense is making them call all of these boring witnesses to lay the foundation. A lot of times things like this are waived. Records custodian, chain of custody. A lot of times those things are waived. But in this case, I think the defense wants them to be confused and it could come down to what Stacy said. Why is the jury not allowed to take notes? What is the strategy or reason? It's a whole lot to remember and much more is boring tech talk for a layperson. I agree with you. I think it's weird that they can't have notes. If this was my jurisdiction... I would fight for that rule to change or ask the judge if they could have notes. Melanie, hey, Uhtred, why do they let you, why don't they let you take notes normally? Wait, sorry. Why do they let you take notes normally and then not use them when you begin to deliberate? Because sometimes it helps just jog your memory, stay involved in the case, look back to what happened, but they do want you to remind, um, to rely on your memory when you're making the decision and going back to deliberate. So maybe they just take it a step further and you got to rely on your memory the entire time, which to me is tough. Ashley, so is the whole case going to come down to Snapchat? Wouldn't that be interesting in 2023? Uh, Crystal, wouldn't it be smarter to try the financial cases first to make the murder case uh, make sense? Being a crook doesn't make you a murderer. I agree. They demanded speedy trial on these murder charges. So the defense basically forced the prosecution's hand to try these first. Susan, do we know if Paul tested for GSR like he shot mom and Alex shot him? Just a thought. They ruled him out as a suspect. That is something that we know. All right. So then we get to uh, the firearm L law enforcement officer, gun salesman, Murdoch cousin, um, who's the gun guy who built these 300 blackouts. I thought it was really weird. The weirdest part about this testimony to me was the first two guns were $9,000 plus, And the last one was only like 
800 bucks or something. It's like, why were the first two? So I get the scope and the paint and the whatever, but really that much more from 800 bucks to 4,500 bucks. That was kind of wild to me. Um, whoops. Uh, so I thought that was kind of the most interesting part of his testimony. He built these guns. He did buy three, 300 blackout ARs. Um, and gave them to Alec. There was no real testimony. He, Oh, actually on cross, I thought the biggest part was, you know, each other, right? He did not want to be associated with Alec. He's like, yeah, we're all cousins. I hang out with John Marvin. I think the guy's name is I hang out with John Marvin, Alec's brother more. I'm closer to John Marvin. Yeah. I see the boys, but I'm closer to John Marvin, but you know, each other, right? And he's like, yes. What is his relationship like with his son? Always good. He was very excited to buy these gifts for them or these guns for them or whatever he said. So very interesting to me that even he, a a prosecution witness, says Alex's relationship with his sons is great, which again, I need a motive if this guy's going to murder in cold blood his 22-year-old son, whom by all accounts and purposes he loved. All right. Next is the digital forensic guy, uh, the cell phone guy. And we are going to go through that. Let me answer some questions here first. Uh, Lauren, with the rules on how evidence is presented, do they have to wait for all cell phone data to be testified to before publishing a clear timeline, like something similar to the map showing in DB trial? So they had to present that background chain of custody before this guy could testify. But with this guy, I think they could have had a demonstrative aid that was a timeline of where these tech, that's what I would have created either by PowerPoint or on a board demonstrative aid about this phone call answered, this text message answered, this movement here, this phone call unanswered, this text message unanswered, movement, whatever. I would have created the timeline like that and where the murders occurred. Uh, HP, do you think AM's other crimes and looking into other deaths related to the family played a role in DA's decision to bring these charges? I have no idea, honestly. I think all the other charges probably did, but I don't know. Uh, I don't think there was enough to bring these charges right, right as, as we sit here right now. Catherine Shrilo, does double jeopardy apply to the original suspect not being tried twice or to a second person? No, it's double jeopardy is with the person. However, as I talked about yesterday, if they point the finger at me and put all this evidence and all their witnesses testifying that I did it, and then they try to um, charge Joe Schmo over here, Joe Schmo's lawyer is going to call all those same witnesses for the state saying, all you guys said Peter did it. So how can you now say beyond a reasonable doubt? There's definitely a reasonable doubt because the state first thought Peter did it. So they don't even know who did it. It's tough. CMS. Hi, Peter. It's really odd how concerned I am with the health of the little boy across the pond, whether guilty or not. Based on his history, I just can't give that much concern to Alec Murdoch. Okay. John O'Reilly. I hear statements as, I hear the statement as, I did him so bad, but I don't think the statement is a confession. Could mean I raised him so bad. And the defense attorney brought that up and cross-examining him, which a lot of you said in the chat last night. Maybe they were watching. Eyesgool. What was the reason to arrest Alec Murdoch in the first place if there was nothing? The state seems mousy, like they don't push for further questions and move around the same question, which won't change, apparently afraid of Alex Murdoch. They have all these other charges, right? A hundred other charges of all these other problems. They based the motive on those other charges that he was trying to cover up those financial crimes and that's why he committed these murders. So I think they ha- them having the full picture is why they brought these charges. We'll see if the jury gets the same full pictures. Uh, Esme, I keep hearing I. 
Cerebellum, can, will anyone look into Elio sled, mishandled or didn't collect evidence, failed to search all the properties, areas, i.e. the mom's house, drainage, basically dropped the ball regardless of the verdict? I mean, the victim's families, I guess, could sue them civilly for screwing this up, but I, I don't think anything's really going to come from that. Gabriella, I thought that the phone evidence presented today was just like the guns and ammunition, a lot of evidence that didn't prove anything so far. I have similar questions, but I did see some ways they're going to make some arguments. So let's get to that now. All right. Digital forensic guy, all sorts of certifications. He's an expert. We're focusing on Alec Paul and Murda, uh, Maggie's phones. Uh, the Faraday bag explanation. You don't need that. You can just put it in airplane mode. So again, defense attorneys nitpicking and blowing up something they didn't do when Turns out there was an alternative way that they could do this all along and they decided to do it the alternative way by just putting it in airplane mode and not in the Faraday bag. Um, a lot about processing, phone, location settings. Then we get to the calls on Maggie's phone where they start to build this timeline. Incoming call was not answered at 9.04 and 9.06 from Alec Murdoch. Five calls total in a row from him plus a couple text messages. And I'm saying to myself, what does this prove? That he called his wife, that he texted her, does not prove he committed the murders. Earlier, there was a completed call by somebody named Marianne. There was a text message read at 849 in a family group chat. It sounded like who's going to go see Alex's dad with them. Another text arrived from Rogan at 924. It was unread. Text arrived at 908 from Alex. They started going all out of order and saying like, yeah, it's not in chronological order, but it's fine. Um, yeah, this counts her steps, but it's not exact. It's somewhere between nine and 10 o'clock is what this means. Yeah, this stuff's not really exact. They gave so many excuses for the evidence that they got out of this expert, which I thought wasn't great. Uh, they saw at 8.30 p.m. Poshmark was previously accessed and in the background, 8.49, the display was on. They, they made it so complex. Well, how can the display come on? Oh, the screen can light up. You can get a notification, a text message. You can unlock it. You can play something, whatever it may be. It's like, or she received a text message and she opened that text message. Since we were just talking about the fact that she got a text message at 831 and read the text message at 843, I mean at uh, 849. And that seems to be exactly what happened here. So I don't know why they didn't just go with that instead of all this confusing, like, tell me all the ways a phone can light up or a display can light up. Thank you, Jay's Shack, for the super sticker. Um, they got to where it never lit up again. I'm sorry, I never received another text message or was unlocked again. Um... After that, nine o'clock. Okay, so here we go. So here is where I think they're starting to build the argument that somebody maybe messed with her phone. There were steps taken with her phone around nine o'clock. They gave the exact times later, right? Okay, from 8.30 to 8.33, there were steps. Then... There were more steps between 8.53 and 8.55. And that was in conjunction with the orientation change. Like somebody was looking. 
And the only way they really connect this to Alec Murdoch himself, which this is a lot of connecting of the dots, but the changing of the orientation happened right before the phone call, the first phone call from Alec Murdoch at 9.04 or 9.06, whatever time it was. So we have the combination of the last time her phone was ever unlocked at 8.49, the last time she ever responded to a call or text message, 8.49. Steps, Janae, meaning like somebody was walking while holding her phone. Like it's counting her steps. And he talked about how people can cheat, you know, shaking their wrists or whatever to make it seem like um, where that, you know, it can make it seem like they took a lot of steps or whatever it may be. Um, but I thought the combination of the last cell phone guy, Brit, I think was his name or what he went by when her cell phone was on the move at eight fifty three. The orientation changed as if somebody was looking to make sure the call came through right before he called. And then the orientation was changed back and he called a couple more times and texted a couple more times once he knew they were going through. That is finally, I said, there's some light at the end of the tunnel for where the state is going and building with all this boring background stuff of, I took the phone and handed it to them. I put it in this bag and handed it to them. And it was why the orientation change stuff was wild to me that they can see that on the phone. Like if I'm looking at it like this or looking at it like this, if it's moving around, not just your smartwatch or Apple watch, but literally the phone. So they have finally connected Alec Murdoch to this timeline. Do I think it's enough? No way. Not even close. But this lets me believe, or leads me to believe, the prosecution actually has more that's going to put Alec Murdoch in this timeline. They're going to bust his alibi open, maybe. Call some witnesses there. So it seems like the state finally is breaking through a little bit, not just giving us evidence, not just giving us you know, here's a gun, here's some ammunition, here's a statement that might be a confession. He said he was there, but it's almost too perfect. His clothes clothes are almost too clean. None of that proves anything. But if I can prove, because at first when I was listening to the, somebody looked at it, text messages were coming in, the cell phone moved, it took steps. I was like, anybody could have done that. Any of the murderers, whoever committed these crimes could have picked up the phone and walked with it. Any of them could have looked at it. But why did the orientation change and the phone start moving right before Alec Murdoch starts calling? Right before he starts setting up his alibi as the state is trying to argue in this case. That, I think, is finally actually connecting a reason why it's more probable than not at this point that it was Alec Murdoch. We'll see. And I still think the investigation was bad. But we'll see. All right, if you haven't hit the like button yet, hit that like button. There's 7,300 people in the chat. Let's see if we can get to 5,000 likes before I answer as many questions as I can in the next five or 10 minutes. And subscribe if you haven't already. Please subscribe. Join us. Join us on this ride that is the Murdoch trial because we want to make sure that we get as much context as we can and answer as many questions as we can
every night that the trial is going on. And our videos are between 8.30, 8.45, 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern every night. Welcome, Veronica. Esme, if Paul had so many enemies and threats, then why did they only have deer cameras and not more security? We talked about this. And a lot of people said they felt like they were untouchable or they didn't need it or there was other criminal activities. Lots of reasons, but I agree with you. It doesn't make much sense. John O'Rourke, honestly, who cares? If he said in 0.5 seconds, I or they, that won't matter or stick. Too much confusion and not enough evidence. Not yet, John. We'll see if they finish the job. Bethany, can they talk about the whole boat incident? It seems there's a lot of other people who would be way more motivated to hurt them. So they have talked about it a lot. The defense has asked just about every witness if they know about the boat case. And we are getting some context, enough to where I think they're going to try to connect those dots in the closing arguments. Uh, JP, almost $10,000 on guns and missing paperwork. That info is going to bite back in the financial crimes case, money laundering 101. I don't know about that, but doesn't look good on the guy that sold him the guns, right? I didn't think it did at least. KWN Upstate. If the jury cannot take notes, cannot remember evidence equal reasonable doubt about guilt being proven if they don't even remember. It's kind of a confusing question, but it can absolutely affect how they vote. The fact that they don't have notes or can't remember something, they, they might not remember something was proven or they might not remember a good argument made by the defense. So it can really cut either way. And I think the defense has been more impactful so far than the state. The state's closing is going to be very important to connect all these dots. Cynthia Snodgrass, 100% they, when they slowed it down, I think prosecution also knew, and that's why they objected to the speed. See, this is what you worry about as a lawyer. You don't want to object and highlight and think you're trying to hide something. Are the jurors not allowed to take notes or just aren't? Always love these nightly chats. Me too, Cynthia. Seems like they're not able to take notes. Beth, I was on the I side until I listened for a they, and then he said they, in my opinion, of course. Yeah. I mean, I, I, somebody said it's it's whatever you're whatever you think it's going to be is what it sounds like, and I kind of agree with that at this point. John Martin or Jan Martin, uh, did the judge approve to seal the text messages? I thought they read one of them out, like "Are you here, babe?" or "Where are you, babe?" I don't know. I don't know if some of them are sealed. I don't know that answer. Anne A, so impressed with the channel growth, doing a great job. Thank you so much, Anne, and appreciate everybody here joining us for these nightly lives. They've been growing every night. They've been a ton of fun um, and educational, even if the topics aren't fun, like I always say. Ashley Mastin, if they can link Alex's phone steps to Maggie's, I think it's damning. I agree. I agree. That's what we're waiting on now. Was he taking steps at the same exact time? Uh, permanent juror, thank you for always providing a complete perspective from both sides. Hit that like button. We appreciate you, Peter. Thank you, permanent juror, and I appreciate you as well. Uh, D Lindsay, thank you for the super sticker. I can pull this off now. <clears throat> Derek Brebner, they for sure. People seem very confident on both sides. I will say that. I will say they seem very confident on both sides. I'm not as confident. Terry Rodriguez is a new member. Lisa Figueroa, I keep waiting for a gunshot residue test result. I don't think it's going to be helpful. That's why this blue raincoat tarp is where all the gunshot residue was. I don't think they're going to find gunshot residue on Alec Murdoch to connect him as the, as, as how much he would have on him if he fired this many shots with two different weapons at two different people, the two different weapons thing. If he really did plan it, that was the genius twist. Uh, Carolyn Pulliam. Thanks for the super sticker. 
Mia Bailey, him saying he wasn't at the kennels before. If Snapchat proves otherwise, yikes. I agree. Proving him out to be a liar and trying to cover this up or mislead law enforcement or tell him to look a different way or like it wasn't him or leave a big gap there that he lied about. That's really important. I think that, I mean, jurors can convict, could convict on that alone. I hope they don't, but they could because that's a big lie to tell. Rob. By the way, I'm exhausted working in the shop, but listening in because as a fellow trial attorney, I feel like I need to hear Peter's take on these cases. Please do the YouTube stuff if you haven't yet. Thank you, Rob. Yeah, and it must be much more fun to work with your hands. After a long day of work, I just come and talk about more law stuff now um, every night during a trial. I know you do this every Friday night. You get to work up to it all week long. Hit Rob's Friday night frenzy if you guys don't already every Friday night. I think right around this time or right around the same time I'm doing these videos. John O'Reilly, timeline of the phone activity will be done in closing argument. One of the last things the jury will recall, strategy by the state. Better hope the juries don't make up their mind, John. All statistics say that very few jurors make up their mind based on closing arguments. And most trial lawyers know that. So you do not want to say, you usually don't want to save stuff. More jurors make up their mind in opening statements than any other part of trial. It's crazy. That's what the statistics show. How perfect are they? I don't know, but it's crazy. I don't usually save stuff. I don't want a smoking gun. If I've got something good, I want the jury to know it up front because there's no real hide the ball anymore. Discovery is, is too broad in most states. KWNY upstate phone could have slipped a little animal could have touched it. Bug could have landed on it. Wind could have blown it. Raindrop could have fallen on it. Sure. Jury could believe this. What's reasonable, right? Not what's possible, but what's reasonable. And I don't think it's enough but it's the beginning of something to me. It is the beginning of something to me. Maureen Griffin, welcome. A lot of new members. We are already planning our members only live for February. Um, it's going to be fun. Rachel Karen, thank you for the super sticker. All right. I think we've come to the end here. A lot closer to one hour than before. I appreciate everybody joining me. Hit that like button on the way out. We are going to get John's Super chat here. Donation to the chat. Chat, keep bringing great combo for Peter and us to discuss. Keeps everyone mind, everyone's mind ticking. Yes, it is literally nothing without the chat and without the questions. At least this show. Maybe some other people are really engaging and super entertaining on their own. I feel like what I bring to the table here is the question and answer portion. And you guys are more than 50% of that. I was going to say 50% of that, but more than 50% of that bringing the different perspectives because you're not only asking the questions, a lot of you are answering and responding in the chat as well. A uh, couple member, new members, Heather and Sarah flooding in here at the end. And then permanent juror, the, this investigation does seem like a good old boy club took place. Anyone else here, the clearing of the throat all the time? Yes. And again, it's weird that they did that at first and then now they're coming in and testifying and trying to help convict them. It's very, very, very interesting. Uh, Spirit Butterfly, welcome aboard. And that's it. I got to call it. I got to draw the line somewhere and I'm drawing it here. Appreciate you all. Love you all for joining me tonight. Hit that like button on the way out. I'm out of here. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Lawyer You Know podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, which I hope you did, here's what to do next. Give it a share, rate, and review the show on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And make sure you subscribe to the show in the listening app of your choice. Follow me on all social media platforms at Tragos Law 
and join the Lawyer You Know YouTube channel and community where you can ask me questions live on all of these cases. If you've got an idea for a specific topic or you have a personal legal question on an injury case, whether it's a car accident, trip and fall, wrongful death, or catastrophic injury case, please email me at lawyeryouknow at gmail.com. All of these links I just mentioned are included in the show notes section of this episode. So until next time, I'm Peter Trigos.